1: underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com
2: <laughs> i really don't like this film uh. this podcast may contain adult themes strong language and stupid health advice listener discretion is advised <laughs>
3: Welcome to In Bad Taste, where we cast a critical eye over health documentaries and the claims they make. I am your even more reluctant host, registered nutritionist Pixie Turner.
2: <laughs> and I'm cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. Nikki Stamp. We are over this film well and truly. Actually, look, to be honest, we have been over this since the beginning. We didn't, you know, <laughs> we never really loved it. Uh, but this week, it is our final episode on what the hell. thankfully, because It's been an experience and not necessarily a good one. No, it's been painful. It's been very
3: painful. And so for our last episode on What the Health, we're going to talk a bit about why this film has been watched by so many people and is cited Mm -hmm. by so many people as the reason why they go vegan. Because you can probably tell by now it's heavy on bullshit and very light on the science.
2: Yeah, and we also thought that this was a good opportunity to, to, to discuss why we get sucked in by these things and perhaps give you some of our very finely tuned cynicism that you can use to critically app- appraise the things that you hear so that you don't turn into your annoying aunt or the dude at work who incessantly tells you about their diet that they learnt from a documentary because nobody wants to be that person. You, you really don't. Please don't be that person. Yeah, otherwise, we'll end up talking about you on the podcast. That'd be bad.
3: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Look, I'm no fan of industry sponsorship. No. But during the course of this movie, Kip acts like he's uncovered some great secret, some kind of conspiracy. (laughs) He Googled and found this information about the various. Various different groups, various different organizations and companies who sponsor various health organizations. Yeah, it's a problem. I don't deny that. It is a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a problem here in the UK sometimes as well. But it's not a conspiracy in that sense. That
2: information is publicly available. Mm, mm. no absolutely and i actually think that it's a good thing that he can find that information so easily because i think that that means that we're you know that they're disclosing it. it's very out in the open that doesn't as we've just said, it doesn't erase the fact that there are relationships between um, food, the food industry and uh, charities and, and medical research and nutrition research. We know that that's a problem. You know, we talked a lot about this with FedUp to the point where we got two experts, uh, Emma and Jenny, who talked about uh, the way the food lobby can influence uh, guideline development or research. Uh, and particularly looking at the situation outside of the United States, because again, this is another United States-made documentary. It talks very specifically about food lobby efforts in the United States, which, as we found out when we we're filming, um, when we we're talking about, sorry, fed up, that you know there is some slight differences here and there. I mean, we we fully acknowledge that. You know, We would like to see, if not transparency, a bit more, I suppose, being removed, not being able to have that influence. Mm, yeah. um, even if you look at it from a day-to-day basis, we know that food marketing, product placement, all those kinds of things have a role in influencing what we eat and not necessarily in a good way. Although I didn't really know this, but Emma Beckett pointed this out, that there's actually food lobbies for quote-unquote healthy foods. There's a vegetable lobby, there's mm-hmm. a bean lobby, all those kinds of things. I think that these are these are all valid points but I don't think the way as you mentioned Pixie that the the way they are the way they're talking about it in this film I don't think it's some great secret that Kip has gone and under, un, uncovered either I would prefer though to see this discussion had by someone who has a bit of knowledge on the situation who can talk about it intelligently and from an educated uh, perspective and come or suggest to some reasonable i suppose solution to this problem because you know right yeah we, we kind of need that we need the food industry they 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 feed us one uh, two you know they do support research and we actually need money to conduct research to get answers to these things. So, I, I, again, yeah, we, we're, not, we're not on board with, you know, quote-unquote, big food here by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think we should be giving Kip, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize for uncovering a conspiracy theory that really doesn't exist.
3: No, and this, instead of any kind of rational discussion, what we get is Kip going to the receptionists at these various institutes we've mentioned in previous episodes. He goes up to the receptionist in person saying, mm. quote, We have to speak to someone in person. There's millions of people dying from the foods they're (laughs) recommending people eat. And I just... I mean, it's just so ridiculous. How the fuck do you think anyone is going to take you seriously if that's what you come up with when you go and see these people? Of course they all decline to speak to you, Kip. I would also say no thanks if someone came up to my doorstep spouting that shit. I'd be like, okay, slow down, go home, have a nap just chill (laughs) this isn't a conspiracy like take like take off your tinfoil hat and have a nap
2: (laughs) do you know the other thing that they implied and this again common fodder for these films is uh, doctors and big pharma and we're going to come to doctors in a little while because there's a lot in this film but doctors and big pharma and hospitals and making money and again we just we just need to be very mindful here that we're talking about a very a very different health system uh, in the United States to what we have in Australia, to what we have in the UK. I think to probably what we have in most of the rest of the world um, in that, you know, Australia and the UK, we are very fortunate. We have socialised medicine and we are bloody grateful for it. Let me tell you right now. But, you know, they, they, they make this implication that the reason that doctors aren't aren't participating in prevention or, you know, have a vested interest in us all continuing to eat meat and dairy and (laughs) eggs and anything else that's bad for us is that we're making money and they have this horrific scene where Kip has obviously harassed someone who folded and agreed to an interview with them and it sounded like it was a surgeon, I believe, and Mm -hmm. then the hospital representative, I'm assuming the hospital media or communications department Get wind of this and pull the pin as they should. But then they sort of surreptitiously filmed this hospital representative saying that the hospital and the surgeon make a lot of money from this surgery, whatever it is that they're going to talk about it. And I was absolutely dumbfounded. One, that they said this, and two, she allowed it to be filmed because I think, I hope that it's taken out of context. But also, I think that, you know, what she said was. I don't think a reflection necessarily a reflection of reality for everybody and I think that it also, it just gave credence to the tinfoil hat conspiracy that this is all about money. I'm a realist. I know that money makes the world go around, but, you know, I think that it was, the way it was portrayed was horrific and I, I have to be honest, I'd be very surprised if the hospital concern didn't pursue something or tell that person who... Gave that inadvertent interview <laughs> that they were not allowed to be in front or near a, a, a camera ever again. But I will say, you know, that the structure of the healthcare system and how healthcare providers get paid in Australia and the UK is really, really different, thankfully. So for me, I get paid the same amount of money no matter what I do. I could do 10 surgeries in a week or I could do no surgeries in a week. I get paid the exact same amount of money. And interestingly, I got accused on Twitter once by a very well-known low-carb professor, I think. I'm not sure. But the reason that I didn't advocate for a low-carb diet is because I had a vested interest in transplanting people who developed heart disease because that's how I made my money. And I was like, no, dude, first of all, the most common reason for needing a heart transplant isn't an acquired heart defect, like coronary disease. And I, I don't get paid any extra money. I get paid nothing extra to be a transplant surgeon. So that was quite insulting. I, I think that, again, the healthcare system is very different, but I think it's really insulting to a lot of really, really good people who are there to to do the best for their patients, that the implication is that there were, we're all, you know, getting kickbacks from big meat or whatever to promote eating meat when we know you know millions of people are dying from according to kip and and that's that's just it's just not the case it's just not how the world works Mm.
3: i guess that really feeds into a discussion about doctors talking about nutrition in general Mm. because all of these documentaries talk about they all of these documentaries have various doctors often the same doctors over and over Mm. Talking about how their colleagues, other doctors, treat already sick patients rather than preventing people from getting sick, I and mean, this is a this is a total lie, right? Mm. We have really good screening programs, prevention programs. We have in the UK on the NHS pre-diabetes programs that we that we enroll people on when they have pre-diabetes to try and prevent them from ending up with type two diabetes. And we have all sorts of these screening things and so on, like. That is all part of it. But also, let's be honest, for example, someone sees you, a surgeon, when something is wrong and they need surgery. Mm. They don't generally go and see a surgeon before something is wrong. <laughs> that's not how it works. You don't have you don't necessarily have a lot of preventative surgery because that's not how it works. There's a problem that needs to be fixed and that's why you have surgery. And, you know, most people will only engage with their GP and so on once something is wrong. Mm. Like, I don't go to a dermatologist saying... I don't have acne yet, but I might. What can I do? <laughs> no, I, I, like, I don't. In the same way, I go to my GP because I have, I think I, I think I have an ear infection, for example, or because something is not quite right and they give me something to help with that and fix it. Something is already wrong when people go to their GP. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like you said, again, we see that they just don't seem to recognize that other countries with different healthcare systems that aren't the US exist. Mm, mm. A lot of their arguments just don't hold up when you consider a system like the NHS where we don't have to pay for any of this shit because we pay taxes and that's how it works instead. And they go on in addition, I'm off on one, they go on What in addition, they talk about how surgery or pills don't solve the cause because that's not how it's supposed to work sometimes because unlike what these vegan doctors will tell you, These conditions like heart disease, diabetes, cancer are incredibly complex and varied. Mm. They don't have one single cause. So of course, you can't look at it that way because if there's no one single cause, which there isn't, then you're not going to have your cure is not going to solve that one single cause because that's not how it works. But of course, if you're a vegan doctor who sells vegan books and vegan plans and your entire life and your life's work and your career and your money and your lifestyle depend on you being vegan, then yeah, of course, animal products are the cause of these problems. And therefore you just need to remove the animal products and you solve the cause. But that is wishful thinking because that's not how it works.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No absolutely. I mean you know not to mention that that when it comes time to to have to have some sort of intervention, whether it be a medication or an operation, to fix a problem at that point, I think it's great that to give people the opportunity to improve their nutrition and and try and round out their diet to be a little bit more conducive to their longer term health. That's great, but you know while you're having a heart attack, you're not going to stop opening up that vest that vessel that's blocked and say. Look, here's an alternative treatment for you, broccoli. That's right. <laughs> um, it's just not realistic. But I, I was really disturbed by the doctors in this film and, you know, I suppose conversely they're probably disturbed by me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how dare I sit on the fence and choose the middle ground where the evidence takes me. But it, it took me a while, it took a while to get into the film where I thought, God, all they've had talking about nutritional aspects of, of health and disease are various doctors and they're all doctors who identify themselves as vegan doctors, which I think is a bit of a conflict of interest. Like what you do in Mm -hmm. your private life should not impact on how you treat patients and how you you give healthcare messages. Um, So I was really disappointed by that. And I think that it goes to a larger concern about, about the fact that there are some very prominent and very vocal healthcare professionals and and doctors i think come under fire for this quite a bit because there are some really well-known doctors who bang on about nutrition and i have a bit of a problem with that i you know i think um, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I think that I, I probably know a little bit more than your average doctor about nutrition. But you know what? I still keep my, my mouth shut because I'm not a nutrition professional because it is a science in and of itself. And I don't have the requisite training and knowledge and experience to be prescribing dietary interventions to my patients other than the fact, you know, the only thing I ever tell people to do, I, I ask people about what they eat because I use it as a way to screen who needs to go and see a dietitian. you know, to, to try and improve their health and, and reduce their risk of complications around the time of their operation. But really the only piece of advice I ever give people is to eat more vegetables. That is literally the only thing I say, um, because by and large, I'm like, I think that's the thing that they would probably do the least. Anyway, I think that nutrition has become really sexy. Uh, It's it's really reflective of, of a sort of broader zeitgeist at the moment in the health and wellness space. And I think that a lot of doctors have seen the success that, really prominent nutrition-bent doctors and and sometimes diet zealot doctors, you know, from all of the different diet camps have had and want to emulate that. And I think part of it, you know, I, I'm not going to be too cynical. I think part of it comes from the fact that they they do want to provide a better service to their patients. And I think that that is admirable. But I think that in the process of doing that, they're really forgetting the fact that we, we just... We're not equipped to do that. And then when they're having these massive platforms where they share that information, I think that's that's really dangerous. And I think no matter what you what you do, you've got to stay in your lane a bit. You know, I think that I think doctors should have more nutrition training. Mm-hmm. And that was mentioned in this film. There was a bill introduced in California to mandate seven hours of nutrition information as part of your continuing professional development every year. And they made this big song and dance about the fact that it was opposed by a number of professional organizations. Um, And I went and found out about this bill and why it was opposed and, and what happened to it. So the bill was actually passed unanimously by both houses of, of, of the government in California. And the bill was actually not looking at training our medical students in nutrition where that training is actually needed. As I said, it was it was going to be introduced to all physicians, no matter what they do. So the opposition to the bill was not the fact that doctors need nutrition training, more nutrition training than we currently get, but it was to say that actually that education should go to medical students or that education should be mandated for say someone like me where the nutrition of my patients is vitally important in in what they do rather than giving that information to an orthopedic surgeon who you know whether or not someone has a broken bone has nothing to do um with what they eat by and large so you know i i think that we've got to get we've got to get people to sort of stay in their own lanes um and you know this this go- goes for no matter what you do. There's actually, there's a dietitian I follow on Instagram who likes giving out medication advice, a lot of which is wrong. Mm. And I'm like, why are you doing that? That's not right. Likewise, it would be wrong for me to prescribe a diet to someone. I think we've got to encourage our healthcare professionals to remember that we work as a team and that's the best thing ever. Teamwork is is so important in getting good outcomes. Um, but we've also got to remind the general public, that because someone is a healthcare professional in whatever sphere, that doesn't automatically qualify them to know everything about health and illness it doesn't qualify a dietitian to know about medications it doesn't qualify me to know everything about how to prescribe a a nutrition plan or dietary plan for somebody and you know I think for doctors though where things get a little bit trickier is that by virtue of that position people trust us a lot more Mm -hmm. so we have a lot more to lose
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also,
1: you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
3: Absolutely. And in case you weren't already convinced by now that Dr. Greger really is the bad guy here, he says, quote, one diet to rule them all. Yep. No. He just quoted Sauron and his fucking evil ring of power from The Lord of the Rings. In other words, <laughs> one diet to rule them all, one diet to find them, one diet to bring them all together, and in the darkness bind them. So clearly, the solution that we need to go with is that we need to take all of Doctor Gregor's books to Mount Doom and try <laughs> throwing them into the fiery chasm from whence they came. I rest my case. This is the solution. <sighs>
2: <laughs> well, I, think I think that's entirely fair. I think it's entirely fair. Interestingly, I, I guess people, when we talk about these vegan films, people get a bit upset sometimes with us that we're anti-vegan. And I think that that's not the case. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. And we were talking about this earlier that people people don't just go vegan to prevent heart disease or cancer, et cetera, et cetera. That's not really the reason most people are pursuing that as a choice. No,
3: I think it's very fair to say that the majority of vegans go vegan because of things like animal welfare and ethics. Mm-hmm. These, are, these tend to be the fundamental reasons why most people go vegan. And, you know, things like animal welfare, ethics, even the environment, these are actually really good arguments for going vegan. Mm. If these are things that are incredibly important to you, I mean, I would have difficulty arguing against that and i'm not going to because i don't i don't want to yeah but we spend so little time with this and when we do very very briefly talk about animal welfare it's only mentioned in the context of the fact that these poor conditions that these pigs are living in is really bad for our human health once we eat that i'm sorry what mm-hmm. this is not why people generally go vegan and it's it's an incredibly a selfish view of veganism that actually isn't really accurate because people generally go vegan for very selfless reasons not for selfish reasons so it's a complete misrepresentation of actually why this even happens and i to be honest i did black out for a few minutes during this section and then when i started concentrating again all i could i could just hear them comparing salmonella to 9-11 And talk about how antibiotic-resistant bacterial deaths is apparently equivalent to seven 9-11s. What? What? Wait, what? 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 Now, this is a comparison that is fucked up, but it's still arguably better than comparing things to cigarettes.
2: <laughs> but it, it, it's a very emotive comparison, and I think that that is a really good yeah. example of something that these films do because you know you're not going to you're not going to say oh the reason that they made this comparison is that every year x number of people die of heart disease which is equivalent to crashing x number of jumbo jets your brain is actually going to cut out that middle bit of logic and go me smoking uh (laughs) (laughs) me smoking (laughs) eggs Your brain is actually going to cut out that middle bit of logic and say me having an egg is the equivalent of a plane crash and and elevate that sense of danger. And and that is that is obviously not correct. Um it's not the case. Um, but it's a very clever technique of of raising your emotions. And especially something like 9-11, right? 9-11 has a lot of emotion attached to it, and rightly so, but we are We're now thinking that we're basically submitting ourselves to the same risk as existing in a building that's about to collapse (laughs) when that is just it's just not it's not the case. It's it's fear-mongering at its finest really.
3: Yes and oh boy they know how to use fear and anecdotes around fear to the best of their potential to get you to be on their side. You know they They have all these various fear-mongering claims. I mean, they even go so far as to say that moderation doesn't work. (laughs) Um, They claim that moderation is a terrible idea. And we actually do have a lot of research saying that moderation is fucking great. So I don't know why that they are going along that that line. You know, they're also adding to that narrative about if you feel crap when you're vegan, it's because you're doing it wrong. So a lot of blame there as well. A lot of Mm. fear, a lot of blame and a lot of anecdotes in the sense that we always get a couple of individuals, and we haven't really talked about them so much here. No. We only mentioned them briefly. There are a couple of poor souls who are always struggling, don't know really what to do, generally eat pretty badly. And then some, some white savior complex idiot comes along like Kip and says, let's make some <laughs> drastic changes to your diet by making you go vegan when actually small changes would just be as beneficial whilst also being more sustainable. But it actually is even worse. What I didn't realize the first time I watched this, but I did this time, is that these lay people they follow, they go to the True North Health Center. Do you remember that place? Because we spoke about it last month. It's the water fasting place, which means (sighs) that
2: these people were sent to water fast and then eat vegan. No, what? No, don't do that. Mm, And that was very conveniently glossed over, uh, isn't it? It's it's very conveniently glossed over because I didn't pick up on it. You pointed it out to me because I I think there's probably another point in the film where I was like, can't do this anymore. My brain shut down as like a protective mechanism um, so that I didn't have to keep watching it. But yeah, it, it's the anecdote thing is is very strong. It's used really commonly, but they see these people after like two weeks after they've, you know, instigated this massive lifestyle change. Um, and, you know, we know that when it comes to, you know, reducing your risk or improving your quality of life, it's going to take a lot longer than that. For the one thing, compliance with any kind of program or even a medication after a period of time wanes with time so I, don't, I could care less that they feel that they felt better after adhering to something for two weeks if they can't maintain that change if it doesn't work in with their lifestyle if it becomes antisocial if they stop enjoying the food that they're eating who cares I mean who cares you need to do something that's actually achievable and sustainable for these people But we also don't hear much about, you know, apart from the fact that they say, I feel really good. We don't hear a lot about the, you know, we hear one or two little tidbits about their measurable actual changes that happen in this time. But they're just tiny little snippets. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go chalking them up as a win. You know, if they keep going on that pathway and they improve their health and they feel better and they're comfortable with those choices, more power to them. More power to them. What was the um it was fed up, wasn't it, where they followed those kids. And they said, yeah, they did really well at first. And then they said, oh, but hang on, four months later it all went to shit again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I'm pretty convinced that Kip and co are certain that these anecdotes are the very best of evidence. Mm, 100%. They're not really good with sources, research, evidence, just in general. Now, look, I don't think that it's really, this is necessarily the best platform and the best way to teach people how to read research. I don't think necessarily that people do need to learn how to read research in a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. If you are super keen on that, you can go onto Alan Flanagan's website and Instagram and he, will, he does all of that shit there. And it, it, will, it would take hours for us to explain that here. But I don't think that your average person needs to be highly proficient at reading research. I don't think so. No, no, I would agree. I think instead, the most important thing I can say around that is that one single PubMed
2: citation does not mean much at all. No, no, and uh, you know I agree wholeheartedly. You know it takes a lot of training um, to to be able to read those papers, and we don't just read the abstract, which is like a little summation of the study. You actually have to go in depth, and that takes a lot of time. and And I agree. I don't. I don't think the payoff is there. I would rather people be mindful about where they're getting their information from and look at that with a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of cynicism. Um, you know, look at when you see a uh, a news headline, for example, saying eggs are like smoking. Go into that and say, why are they saying that? Who's saying it? What sources are they citing? They're citing one study or are they talking about, you know, mass amounts of studies? All of those kinds of things actually matter. You know, I think as we mentioned before one of the previous weeks, that on the what the health website they have listed their sources and they they're really very poor quality they they're virtually very all very very old studies that have been superseded or you know when you look at them they are found to be pretty poor quality studies so you know you can do a scientific study that is really well designed and gives you really good answers because it eliminates the likelihood of chance influencing it, for example. Or, you know, you can basically flip a coin. And some of the studies that they refer to, and there's not many of them, by the way, some of the studies they refer to are are the kind of the scientific equivalent of flipping a coin. But the most astonishing thing I found, I, I think we've mentioned this before, is that a lot of the sources that they cite are blog posts or opinion pieces written by a number of the doctors featured in this film. And they they are very easily debunked, um, but also, you know, if you are genuinely about, I suppose, advancing knowledge or imparting good quality knowledge, a blog post is not a good source of information. It would be like me studying for medical school using a tabloid newspaper. That's kind of the equivalent. Mm. That's just not good enough for the for the claims that they're making. Not not at all impressed. Thank you for listing your references, What the Health, in you know, an easily accessible place for me to find them and judge them. But I'd prefer that you just didn't say anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. And look, we've dedicated entire
3: episodes in the past to the various conflicts of interest that are present in the various doctors and other healthcare professionals who are interviewed And, you know, we're not going to spend huge amounts of time on it here because we've already done that. Mm. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem here as well, because it is. And yeah, sure, these guys, these various vegan doctors, yeah, they write some entertaining books. You might think, well, why would they lie? Why would they lie? They're not intentionally lying, I don't think. No. Instead, I would see it this way. Their entire career and livelihood depends on them not changing their mind about anything even in the face of evidence, they have a huge financial and status stake in keeping things the same. And in only talking about research or opinions or anecdotes that support what they are already saying, There is a lot of research that disagrees with these people but they're not going to talk about it because they would lose their entire livelihoods if they gave that the same attention that they do. There's there's little pieces of research here and there that do support them. They've put themselves in a position now where they cannot back down and they may have not got there with malicious intent but they're now fucked because they they backed themselves into a corner that they cannot get out of. They're really stuck and... They're not going to be unbiased because of that, because they're backed into a corner that they can't get out of. Now, look, Nikki and I, we don't have a vested interest in one particular way of eating. In fact, we are generally nutritionally agnostic. Yes. <laughs> We're not part of a particular dietary camp, for example. And I do genuinely believe that that makes us better sources of information and more reliable less biased sources of information. We are not 100% unbiased. Nobody is. It's not possible. But when your entire career depends on you promoting one particular way of eating at all costs, I don't see how that's particularly objective and unbiased. It's not. Whereas... We don't really give a shit what way people eat if they're happy with it and they're not doing it based on, you know, ideally not based on misinformation. Mm. We want you to make your own decisions. We're not trying to force you and pigeonhole you into a particular way of eating. Mm. And I do think that makes us more credible. I really genuinely believe that. And I think anyone who looks at it rationally, who doesn't have an emotional investment in these individuals interviewed, We'll hopefully see it the same.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, and that, thats kind of what we're trying to do here, and it's why we don't push—we don't push anything other than where the facts take us. We're not pushing here, pushing our opinions or our anecdotes or our experience. No one cares about our opinion when it comes to the science. Science doesn't give a rat's ass what you feel in your bones. It's—it's it, it's about what's objectively true and what is objectively not true, and those lines get blurred quite quite a lot in these films but you know yeah i think it comes back to a thing that we say quite often misinformation is not empowering and we want you to be able to make your own decisions and if you make your own decision if you watch this film and you say based on this film I'm going to go vegan for my health, then, you know, it's probably going to, to be good for you because we know that it's probably good but it's just not a panacea. And I think that if you're making those decisions based on the fear that these kinds of films bring to you, then that's bad. That being said, you know, we we do draw the line at making absolute nonsense claims like curing cancer because that's not just your choice. That's actually potentially risking your life. So not a big fan of that. Mm. But, you know, just, just think critically about what you're saying in these places. And who's saying it? Think critically about, well, why would this person say
3: this? Mm. Do they have a financial interest in in saying this? And mm. we genuinely don't. Like, we really, really don't. And that's exactly why we wanted to do this. Yeah. And we are not telling you to go vegan. We're also not telling you to eat meat. We're not really telling you what to eat at all because, like I said before, <laughs> we are not here to do that. We're not here to tell you what to eat. We are presenting you with the arguments, the facts, the research. It's up to you. You eat whatever the fuck you want. Seriously. I'm not going to come and chase you up and be like, are you eating your cheese? I don't care. (laughs) Unless you pay me to look at what you're eating. I don't care. That's all. So at the end of this entire documentary, Kip decides to go vegan. He decides to go vegan because of the negative effects of meat on the various communities and animals and individuals. So he's making an ethical decision, with health as a potential beneficial side effect of that. What the fuck was the last 90 minutes about? Why did we bother?
2: <laughs> fuck this. I'm out. I'm never watching this again. <laughs> horrified that I watched it one time yeah I I I struggle I really struggle I really struggle I know I've said this repeatedly but I found this film really hard to watch because it was just such nonsense it was such word vomit incoherent inconsistent inaccurate nonsense I feel like these films actually do vegetarian and veganism and plant-based diets disservice they do you're absolutely (laughs) right they really do they take away from those like really noble pursuits and they also they're so zealous about it that they take away from from some of the health benefits of introducing more plant-based foods into your diet but yeah i found this so hard to watch and i think also coming off the back of unwell where you know there were some really amusing funny entertaining parts and this was just i mean this was at times like shooting me with a tranquilizer dart because it was just so rubbish like i said my brain just went into protective mode shut down so i didn't have to hear it um <laughs> but yeah look don't don't watch it don't watch it but we have to keep going because we said that we would. We pursue on. We have to watch something else.
3: I think we deserve something a little more fun again after this horrendous piece of shit that we had to watch. Or as I described on Instagram the other day, this absolute wank stain of a documentary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. I stand
3: by that. We Next up, we are going to watch... The Goop Lab, which (gasps) I actually haven't seen yet. And I think this will be interesting, partly because it just is a bit wild. It'll be a bit fun. Still ridiculous. And they recently commissioned season two. So I feel it's about time we get in on season
2: one so that we can then potentially, maybe next year, get in on season two. Yeah, I am looking forward to this. I feel like, yeah, we definitely deserve a break. I think that there's going to be some fun, different, interesting topics for us to chat about. And, you know, who doesn't love taking a dig at Goop? It's it's awesome. It's great fun. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. It's so easy. Oh, God. Anyway, let us know what you think about What the Health. Uh, But in the meantime, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. This will help push us up the charts and then that's how people will find us. And honestly, sometimes I look at the people who are above us on the charts and I'm like, are you you joking? Are you serious? Um, Mm -hmm. We basically have the what the health is of the world. So please push us up past past them so people can find us. And if you have any questions or comments, you can get in contact with us on email in podcast at gmail.com. Uh, We really, really love hearing from you, so please don't hesitate to drop us a line. As always, you can always come and see us on our socials where we talk about this kind of stuff all the time and we actually give you good general health information that has nothing to do with stupid documentaries. Pixie is at Pixie Nutrition and I am at Dr Nikki Stamp and as always we will leave you some references and some really good quality links in the show notes for you. Oh, it's done. We're finished. We never have to do this again. (laughs) We're
3: free. What a relief. So next time, (gasps) it's all about the goopy shit. We'll see you there. Bye. Deaths is equivalent to seven, nine,
2: eleven. That <laughs> <laughs> we don't get paid enough to do this.
1: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.